This morning, if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10. We looked at this during small group, but we're going to unpack it a little bit more today. Uh, The journey of grace is not just a theme, but it's a reflection on a person's life. You see, we continue on the full journey as we interact and cooperate with God, the God of grace. We can press pause, of course. We can sit down. We can say, oh, I'm too tired to move on. I don't want to do this thing anymore. I can't, I can't go any further. But guess what? God doesn't do that in our journey. He's always going ahead of us. But our interaction, our cooperation, and acceptance of his grace for every single moment matters to our eternity, hear this, and the eternal destination of others that we may influence for Christ. That's why the journey of grace matters. So, upon reflecting on discipleship as a journey of grace, I really wanted to look at, once again, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Uh, You have this fill in your blanks in your bulletin if you're playing along at home or in church. Uh, What's a disciple? It's a person who is a pupil or an adherent. This is description in the dictionary, by the way, of the doctrines of another or a follower is another way to put it. Essentially, this person is a learner who studies another's directions in life, beliefs, and teachings. I had to use this more generic term because if you look this word up in the dictionary, uh, it has been used 98% of the time to describe somebody who follows Jesus. Most of the, there's there's other subcategories that don't refer to Jesus, but this is the main use of the word disciple. But this would be the more generic one. So you could be a disciple of something else, like a famous person or a a health uh, guru or whatever, somebody who does certain exercises and you're like, oh, everybody's got to follow this. No, we're talking about discipleship of Jesus. Being, dis- being his disciples. So this series, Discipleship as a Journey of Grace, has a goal, and it was to help frame discipleship in a new light. As someone journeying along the road of life, we were being conformed or transformed. Remember that. There's only two things. When we're living our life, there's only two things. We're being conformed or transformed. Conforming or conforming to the world or being transformed by Jesus. It is the latter description that we hope to unearth today. And this is our last week of the series. I want to recap these different areas of grace that we've talked about, introduce one last stop on the journey of grace, and then hopefully funnel us all to a practical understanding of how these graces impact our local discipleship, how it best takes shape here in our church. So on the journey of grace, the disciple is one prepped to receive the grace of God, prepared, prevenient grace. It goes ahead and enables us. Jesus is the way, the road, the destination, the chauffeur, if you will. Um, I, I, for some reason, when I said prepped, it makes me think a little bit of this. Have you ever had uh, just a push lawnmower? And you know, you can fill it up with fuel and you can get that, that crank thing out, whatever it's called. I don't mow the lawn, apparently. Whatever that pull cord is, right? And you could do this to your heart's content. You have the handle down and everything, but there's something that you forgot a step. What is it? It is to prep the engine with a little bit of fuel. There's a little button there usually. 
that shoots a little bit of fuel down into where it needs to start up. And that's what came to my mind as I was saying, prep to receive the grace of God. God went ahead and enables us to receive that grace. Two, uh, we're offered, a disciple is offered the free gift of salvation, Christ's saving grace, the grace that gives, or the grace that changes our status with God from rebellious to justified. Jesus is the truth. So we had Jesus the way. Jesus is the truth. He leads us into the truth that makes us free. And the truth is that, now this is, this is very important, Christianity 101. We need a savior. We can't save ourselves. Only Christ can. Accepting the free gift of salvation is the only way to get it, if you will. So that's the truth. Jesus is the truth. We need a savior and the only one is Christ. A disciple is declared holy and made holy. Sanctifying grace is not an optional add-on to our Christian walk. We can't just go, oh, I believe all the things Jesus said. I'm going to be nice and good. I'll I'll even pray over my fishes and loaves and hopefully they'll multiply. Um, You know, uh, I'll go run around the desert and baptize people, whatever. Sanctifying grace, it's not optional. It's not an add-on. God is holy. He desires holiness for us and in us. So he sets us apart for his purposes. And Jesus is our life and how we live. We acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and take steps to make every part of one's life obedient to that declaration. You could say all you want, but until you actually live it out, it's not true. So, I mean, we could sing songs that say, Jesus is Lord, Lord of my life, and your life doesn't reflect it. Well, you're just singing a song at that point. Instead, my life reflects it because Jesus is my Lord. And you start thinking about it in that way. As all this is going on, we declare holy, we are declared holy and continue to be made holy. That's interesting. The power of the Holy Spirit gives us the strength and ability to this is like super important to Nazarenes, okay? The ability to reject sin and turn to or toward purity, to the things of God. So the Holy Spirit gives us a strength and ability to reject sin, turn away from that, and turn toward God. The Holy Spirit guides the disciples' actions and choices, enabling them to use the gift of free will to choose. The desire of the Spirit is to move us to a place where we can say, practice, and live out the phrase, your, meaning God's, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've got to live that out, and the Spirit enables us to do so. Uh, sustained grace. Sustained. We are sus- the disciple is sustained by the grace of God. And uh, we think about this. The means of grace are both communal and private. And they work in concert with the disciples' progression in faith. The Lord's Supper, baptism, prayer, Bible study, meeting together for worship are just a few of the essential elements that make up God's sustaining grace. After talking with some of you last week, I, this, this area did not seem to be an area where we were familiar with. Uh, you know all about these things, right? But however, for us, we might think of them in a Rather than a category of grace, they, 
there are things that God provides to sustain us in our faith, our unity, our familial love, it seemed very new. Uh, maybe it was akin to getting corrective lenses. I'm, I'm going to go uh, to the eye doctor for the second time since I moved here. And these are still the glasses I had when I lived in Oklahoma because I'm stubborn and I wanted contacts last time for some reason. I'm getting new glasses this time. I think it'll help me see a little bit better. But when you get brand new glasses after not having a, a new prescription for a while, there's something that happens. You're like, I'm used to seeing blurry. I put on the glasses. Ooh, that hurts. But now I can see better. It's, it's different. It's kind of uncomfortable at first, but then things get clearer. It's my hope that you'll join me in reflecting and celebrating the means of grace as not just a religious requirement, okay? So Bible study, prayer, meeting together, communion, not just a religious requirement. In fact, not a religious requirement just that Christians do, but rather they are gifts from God himself that sustain us, to sustain our walk as we journey on this road of life. And finally today, disciples are given just enough. Just enough. Given the right amount of grace. And in the next few moments, that's what I want to end our series focusing on, sufficient grace. But before I do, I want to reemphasize something. A disciple of Jesus cannot be born and made outside of these areas of grace. The purpose of the church in the Nazarene is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. A number of years ago, they boiled it down to that term. It's a response to the call of the Great Commission. You may know it from Matthew 28, 19 through 28. It says this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to make. And uh, if you want to know sign language for make, it's this. You kind of take your hands on top of each other and you just like crank them like this. I don't know why, but it looks like you're making something. I love that. But to make another into a disciple of Jesus, you first need to actually be one yourself. The chief end of discipleship is to make us like Christ. (laughs) You might be like, well, isn't that what Christianity is? Yeah. As we find out, the lines should have been blurred. A Christian and a disciple, they should look exactly the same. Not just a churchgoer, a church attender, a church member. A Christian and a disciple should be the same. We just have too many terms, I guess. To transform our character to be just like Jesus I once heard an expression, a preacher express it this way, and he literally did that. He kind of confused us where it's like this. He's like, oh, well, Matt, you know, is that Matt or is that Jesus I see? Because, you know, I I see his bald head and whatever, and uh, but I'm seeing a whole lot of Jesus coming out of him. And I'm a little confused as to which one I'm looking at there. Uh, He wanted the preacher said it that way. He wanted his life to reflect Christ so much it confused people as to who he was. (laughs) It's kind of a radical way to think about it, but that stuck with me. So for you and me, the journey of grace is how God makes us into disciples of Jesus. Jesus, who is the way, directs us into all truth and welcomes us into eternal life in him. Get it? Way truth life. 
And so today we conclude by looking at an element of God's grace that we may not be especially fond of, the amount of grace that's bestowed. And we start by looking at the Apostle Paul. I want to read these uh, verses for us today. 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I reflect on Paul, and Paul is a heavy hitter in the New Testament, right? You can't hardly swing a cat at the New Testament without running into something that Paul wrote. So let's look back at Paul here and his writing something interesting about his history. He had an awesome resume, right? Uh, If anybody was super religious and uh, could be leading the way and leading the charge on any given topic, it would have been Paul. You see, Paul had a strong past. Uh, Obeying the law as a Jew was a very big deal, and he was uh, a Jew among Jews. He was a a big-time Jew. And uh, But part of that was being so... uh, excited for what the law said, he took it to the fullest extent and started persecuting those in his eyes, didn't uh, follow the law in his own eyes, especially those sects that claim harmony with the law, but yet seem to put their trust in this man named Jesus. So Paul was a man who intellectually knew the law, followed it to its deepest possible conclusion, protecting it from those who might mess with it. He was a learner and he was a doer. And then part of his resume involves something I want to call a holy moment. You see, those who have a one-on-one interaction with God are part of a, a special group of people. They, they hear a divine word and they must act on it. You ever met somebody like that? They heard something from the Lord and then it consumed the rest of their life. And it was a good thing, hopefully. I, I list off a few here, Elijah, Elisha, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jeremiah, Gideon, Hosea. Okay, the list is actually long. I never said it was short, just special. We know these folks had interactions with God because they were recorded in the Bible. Their testimony and the activities that followed lend to the validity of a true holy moment. So Paul declared this holy moment, he is... He recalls it several times on his journey, of course, the road to Damascus experience where Jesus himself interacts with him, blinds him, and uh, he's unable to eat or drink and, and see for three days until he's healed. And it changes his life, his very trajectory. A word from God can and should do just that. It should change your life. So he's got the past of being a super intense religious Jew. 
He has this holy moment where the heavens open and a word is spoken. Things were revealed to him. And now, here in the New Testament, he writes most of it down. The instructions that we read today. He's a leader in guiding people on the journey of grace. Leading them to become more and more like Jesus. He should pat himself on the back. Look how far I've come. Lots of people listen to me talk about Jesus. People respect my history. They respect my history, my conversion story. The Gentiles are happy to finally be included. I am at the forefront of it all. I'm sure glad we never actually heard Paul say stuff like that. But have you ever thought this way about someone who's successful in business or ministry? Maybe you look up to them. Wow, they, they really got it together. They have such a, a, a big church. Their church, their business is growing. They've got building projects going up left and right. Church plants taking off. New stores opening every other weekend. And when they feel good and confident, usually you, you turn, turn to yourself and say, look what I have accomplished. I'm proud of what I've done. If you really feel good about all the different things that you're able to accomplish. And you look at those people and you say, wow, they got it all together. And you start wanting to be like them. Well, God wants us to rejoice in success, sure. But as Paul tells us that sometimes we have things in life that keep us humble. And for Paul, it was a thorn in the flesh. He said, I was given this thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And, Christ, and then he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's verse uh, seven and nine. Paul was given a thorn in his flesh. Some people have thought it was physical, emotional, or relational. I'm sure there's been many a sermon up here that takes a logical conclusion, things that make sense. They infer things from history, all kinds of uh, references to point to a conclusion of what it was, his thorn. Uh, Dr. Busick in his book, Way Truth Life, states that neither the origin nor the specifics are entirely clear. He says, we don't have any biblical conclusive evidence of what it was. Perhaps it's vague for a reason. So no matter our, our own thorn, we can relate to Paul in his struggle and see what he leaned on in the midst of it. Dr. Busick goes on to say, what is clear is that it became such a heavy burden for him, for Paul, that he referred to it as a messenger of Satan to torment him and remind him of of his frailty. Uh, Jackie shared a little bit ago, but uh, just last week, Kaylee got a splinter in her foot and uh, we found it and it was bothering her. And Jackie proceeded to do what she knew to do best, try to remove it through much tears and screams the tiny little piece of splinter came out. Oh, yay, big. Um, but fast forward to about a week after the splinter found its way into her foot. It was still bothering her. She was able to walk without putting too much pressure on the offending area, but it was time for some next steps. Tweezers and squeezing around the area, sore, around the already sore area around her foot was just not going to cut it. So three nights ago, Kaylee and I found ourselves at urgent care. We wanted to see if a doctor could help remove it, um, what was left of the splinter. Must be a small part, right? After two and a half hours, 
two topical numbing creams and one numbing injection, the doctor carefully used a scalpel and fine-pointed tweezers to remove the remaining sliver of wood. And basing it on my memory, Jackie had removed a piece comparable to one to two millimeters, very tiny, uh, which is usually what it is with splinters. Um, the doctor, what the doctor removed was about half an inch or so. And it was still a little bit down into her skin when he pulled it out. When we ask God for, um, when we ask God to take away thorns, painful things, we want him to remove those things in our life. It can be a painful process. Paul pleads with God, take this away. Scripture says Paul asked no less than three times. And Dr. Busick points out that this just means he just kept on asking, just kept on praying and knocking on heaven's door for it to be removed. Paul then shares with us what God's response to his request was. No. Verse nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. In Paul's, in mine, in yours. I would love to be a polished speaker, able to draw you in to the story, teaching at, uh, or the teaching at hand, keep you there, encourage you and challenge you. I'd love for every single joke that I say up here to be amazing and uh, to land just right. And there's one of my many weaknesses. They don't. <laughs> Sometimes in spite of myself, however, someone actually hears from God. <laughs> the Holy Spirit whispers something in the midst of this preacher's noise. I know it's happened and it can happen because I've been on the other side. I've heard a message from God when I was having trouble following the speaker as he or she told the story or leaned on the same old analogy. Sufficient grace. Paul gets sufficient grace, just enough grace. This man with an awesome resume had it all together, it seemed. A great testimony, leadership skills coming out of his ears requires the grace of God to just keep moving, just keep living, to rely on God and not himself, his resume or his ministry. It's Paul we're talking about here. Generally, what does this look like in the life of the disciple? Earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul shares a wonderful image for us to latch on to. It's that of char the jars of clay. Chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let, there, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Wow. Let's read on. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from who? Us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not, not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Again, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 9. In verse 7, Paul refers to our mortal bodies, our very self, as a jar made from clay. It's common for common purposes, and it's also very frail. Even today, gravity, I don't know if you know this, is science, gravity works just the same, right? If I had 
um, and this is plastic, but I usually have like hard mugs. But if I had one of my favorite coffee cups and I had a Dollar Tree uh, coffee cup, and if I had another assistant holding up a precious relic made of clay, and we all dropped them at the same time, they would all break. They would all fall because gravity still works and is no respecter of how old and how, how sacred a, a, an item is. Jars of clay are fragile. Drop us, we break. <laughs> but Paul also shares that the glory of God gets to be held in such a jar. And God is the one who gets the glory, not the jar. That makes any sense. Because we are, we're holding on and his glory is revealed out of his, he gets the praise. We are frail. We rely on the master potter to make us, sustain our being, and fill us with his glory. Another important thing I want to point to, uh, Dr. Busick shared in his um, book about a, one of the best sermon illustrations that have come out of the last probably 30, 40 years. I don't know how long it's been around. If you've been to a Christian bookstore at any point in your life, you probably have stumbled over a piece of paraphernalia with the footprints in the sand story written in it. I really like the way that he phrases it in, in his book, and I want to share that with you here today. Um, as I found it more interesting than I could ever remember. He says, one night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This, literal, this really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. That it is sufficient grace that carries us, especially during the rough times in life, it is just enough and we rely on him to carry us through. Now, one thing that I want to share is how are we doing with all of this? This is sufficient grace, grace that is just enough, but how, how is our local church, Baroqua Nazarene, doing with this? Before we answer that question on our church's ability or lack thereof to make disciples, answer this question honestly about yourself, maybe in your own heart. How is your walk with Jesus? 
How is your walk with Jesus? Do you recognize that it's even started? I mean, you are here at church, unless you're listening online. Do you sense his supernatural ability to sustain you, to make you more like Christ? Do you recognize how utterly dependent you are on God? Friends, if you want to make a disciple, you've got to be a disciple. You can't teach somebody else something that you're not. And no matter if you get together and do a weekly one-on-one with somebody or you're part of a small group, guess what? It starts with you going on the journey of grace to be made a Christ-like disciple. So what's our report card? What does our church do to make disciples? Do we, do we report a big old program specific to just discipleship and we have letterhead that says discipleship ministries? Well, let me tell you a little bit about what our church does do. Sunday school. Sunday school is an important element to discipleship, no matter what age. Uh, it can introduce a person to the saving grace of God, help them to understand it better and accept the free gift of grace. It can sustain the Christian in the faith through better Bible study habits and biblical insights they might not find doing so all by themselves. Sunday school certainly has the academic side to it, but there is a communal side. We lift one another up in prayer, share our burdens, and experience the sufficient grace of God through words and encouragement. I think This also comes in the form of being included in the study, whether it's opening time to share our own reflections or just participating by reading the scripture out loud. We are being made more and more every day into his disciples. Sunday school is one such means to that end. Worship is another area where we experience God's grace and allow it to shape and guide us. Certainly, saving and sanctifying grace come about through the preaching of the word, singing of of the good news, of course, through testimonies of Christian musicians from days gone by. There's just something that resonates with our hearts still today. You might not know the history of the people who wrote the songs and the hymnal, but you know their stories and you've latched onto them, especially in your hardest times. Testimonies on that point and praises are an excellent time for the formation of disciples. When you give your testimony, when you share what you've seen and experienced of God's grace in your life, it's, it's giving God praise in that moment, strengthening your own faith, but you're encouraging another person as well. Again, there's, a, there's an individual aspect of, of becoming like Christ, and there's a communal, and they work in concert together. And when we do this, we're reflecting the actions and attitudes of what we'd like others to, we want to see in others. You know the phrase, every knee will bow, right? Well, might as well be bowing now and give him praise today. We are encouragers and sustain, we are encouraged and sustained through these times. And of course, the sacraments 
and other acts of his sustaining grace are there as well. When we receive the elements like we did last week, take them into us with thankful hearts, we do so again as individuals, but as a community, a group of believers, not just Jesus and me, it's Jesus and we. And so we commune with him and have unity with our fellow believers. Giving is a way that we also cooperate with the grace of God. As we grow as a Christian, we grow to be more obedient to the will of God. One area that touches, uh, is touched by this is finances. You might think, oh, I have so little. What can I do in addition to uh, tending to my basic needs? Well, as you grow in grace, you might have this question come up again and again. It's an opportunity for you to trust God and steward your finances the way God leads you. This is one area that I believe God is showing fruit right now in our congregation. Regular, faithful giving through tithes and above that offerings have become a pattern of our local church. As we have stepped out in faith each year with a new goal, God has increased our income. I may be able to go into more detail in our next mini-series, hashtag so blessed. Yes, I know. Half of you don't know what that means. It's all right. Um, but suffice it to say, we have several years of, we have, we have already had several years of paying all of our bills, our budgets to our denomination and our district, and even participating in at least one missional offering a year. So what about evangelism? And this is a tough one. And I'm, I'm thankful for the reflective prayer earlier about reaching out to others outside of these doors. Um, because few metrics have ever existed to test whether or not we're making disciples through sharing the gospel. And the only one that comes to my mind and your mind as well is church attendance. But we've seen that this is not really the best method. Churches have lots of people in them. Some churches have lots of people in them, but they could also be very spiritually stagnant. They go there because it is their tradition not because it is their relationship with God. So church attendance is not a reflection of positive spiritual growth of Christ-like disciples. But we have hope that God will give us the opportunities as we shared earlier to share with those that we meet on a regular basis that may never come into our doors, but you never know. And so that's why it's important to always be prepared to give an answer and always be able to invite, be willing. No one is going to come to join you for worship. You're guaranteed to not have them come, essentially, if you don't invite. That is, that is so very true. So if God lays it on your heart, be brave and do it. And this comes back to my initial question. How are you doing on the journey of grace? Are you becoming made into a disciple, a disciplined learner of Jesus? If so, naturally, in your day-to-day life, the Spirit's gonna guide you and give you opportunities to reach out and be an agent of grace. Dr. Busick concludes the book, Way, Truth, Life, by sharing Romans 5, 3 through 5. I wanna read that for us now. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know 
that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit where, uh, who has been given to us. Christian, disciple, hello, you're the same thing. You are on a journey. The journey is not easy. It might not be clear where you're at in the journey, by the way. So sometimes you gotta cut yourself some slack. But the journey's not easy, and Jesus never said it would be. He did say he'd be with us. Emmanuel. As we endure difficulties, as we struggle to answer the question, am I doing a good job? God says, Psh, my grace is sufficient for you. But God, I want a performance review. I really want to... Hello, my grace is sufficient for you. I'll close with this word from Paul and Timothy when they wrote to Philippi. First chapter of that book, verses three through six. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you, hear this, own it, Baruch Winez, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't just want to be churchgoers. We don't want to be seat warmers. We want to be light in this world on fire for you, Jesus. But it is your grace and your power and your mercy through us that's going to get the job done. And when we go, hey, God, how are we doing on this whole discipleship thing? I'm, am I doing good enough? And you turn to us and say, I, God, I am enough. <laughs> Don't you worry about you being enough. And you'll guide us on this journey, Lord. And sometimes we'll feel like each stop is getting overlapped with another. And we're reminded of your saving grace and your sanctifying grace and you're sufficient and you sustain us. We pray that as we identify as Christians, we know that you've called us to become disciplined learners of Jesus, to model our lives after you, not just follow a bunch of rules, but have our heart shaped and changed so that when people see us, they get confused and they go, oh, is that Jesus? Looking like Jesus right there. I'm a little confused, who's that? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us this week to go out and be agents of grace, giving hope to those who think they're without it, knowing that you can be just enough for them. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.